have a Bible, you can just open up your phone's browser, click the browser app, and, and enter in Psalm 1. It's a six-verse psalm. Salmos capítulo 1, versículos 1 a 6. The threshold of the psalms, as it has been called by a number of different scholars, the, the doorway to the psalms. And today we're going to talk about something that gives us feelings. We're going to talk about our feelings themselves, our emotions. And emotions are a tricky thing. And, and oftentimes, d d depending on whatever time you grew up in or, or whatever culture you're from, we, we tend to associate emotions with certain demographics or even certain genders. But emotions are something that we all experience. We express them differently. We express them to various degrees. But we're all emotional beings, whether we like it or not. But they're a tricky thing, aren't they? They're a monumentally tricky thing. Your positive emotions like happiness and contentment and joy, affection. These are, these are feelings that we and, and humans for centuries often try desperately to find. As, as though it's the, the, the chalice or the hidden treasure that, that we, we think that we found and then it, 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 it eludes our, our grip and we, we continue to aim our lives at finding that emotional high point and sustaining that, sometimes to, to a fault, so much so that they become the primary aim of life, trying to find happiness, the pursuit of happiness, the gold standard, what life itself becomes about. But, but negative emotions like, like grief and, and fear, doubt, anger, bitterness, anxiety, envy. Whoa. Negative emotions, they are painfully and, and fragilely complex, aren't they? Some of them, we, we hightail it away from at any suggestion that we might be in the vicinity of emotions like grief, sadness, or fear. We don't want any part of those things if we can avoid them. Yet, yet other negative emotions we'll, we'll, we'll foster and we'll give into and allow to seethe like anger and bitterness and envy. Uh, applying them as an insidious ointment to our internal wounds and, and, and fostering them as though, as though those, those emotions will heal the wounds inside of us. Using bitterness as a way to sort of self-heal even though it's destroying us from the inside. Uh, listen, most of you have grown up learning some cocktail of the following that, 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 you're helpless, that you're a helpless victim to your emotions. That, that, that mental health, however you understand that term, is, is primarily a medical issue. Or that simply because an emotion is there, you should express it. Because you are feeling something, then you should give voice to it. That you should let it out. Or that the sum of your emotions is who you are. You want to know who a person is? 
Look at their emotions. Look at their emotional states. Look at the emotions they express and they feel. Or that feelings unavoidably determine your actions. So the goal of life centers on how you feel. There's so, there's so many mixed messages surrounding emotions. A topic that itself is difficult to really reconcile in our own lives as we're dealing with the, with the emotions that rise up within our own hearts. Our emotions can seem to be an irreducibly complex tangle of feelings. But friends, haha, the Psalms make sense of our emotions. John Calvin called the Psalms an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. An anatomy of all the parts of the soul. We said last week that the Psalms present us with a theologically informed perspective of our emotions. The, the, the Psalms offer readers words which they can place into their own mouths for properly expressing the whole range of human emotions. So not only do the Psalms help us to understand our emotions, but they help us to know how to rightly express our emotions in a way that honors God. The Psalms help us to guard against letting our hearts pour forth in an unbridled, unrestricted, uncontrolled way. That they, they are channels through which your emotions can properly flow. Channels that, that always lead back to the reservoir of God. Channels without which our emotions overflow their banks and, and, and wreak havoc on the landscape of our souls. So, listen, on, on one hand, it's neither good nor right to believe that we are or that we need to be enslaved to our emotions. It is neither good nor right to, to believe that we should always be giving full expression and full outlet to everything we feel. But on the other hand, it's neither good nor right to believe that, that God has imprisoned our emotions within us restricting us from expressing our emotions. It's not good to look at emotions as though they are an evil thing, as though they are a result of the fall. He created our souls with an emotional anatomy. He gave us emotions. He created us as emotional beings. He created us as, as being beings with affections that are intended to be expressed back to him. It is good and right to express emotions, but to express them in a way that honors him. But listen to this. There's more. Not only, not only do the Psalms help us to understand what our emotions are or how to express them, they teach us why we experience the emotions that we do. They teach us why. And the primary why of our emotions, the primary why, mind you, the primary why of our emotions has nothing to do with the chemical composition of our brain or our upbringing and pasts 
or even, even the, the notion of mental health. T- to be clear, uh, those can all influence our emotional state, but none of them are primary. The why behind all of our emotions has to do with the orientation of our soul. Has to do with the direction that our soul is facing. Scholar Walter Brueggemann helpfully observes that the Psalms are divided into three genres, okay? Three genres in in the Psalms. Hymns, laments, and thanksgiving. Psalms psalms that are hymns, psalms of lament, and psalms of thanksgiving. Another way of describing these three genres is orientation, disorientation, reorientation. Psalms describing the proper orientation of the soul, hymns. Psalm 1 is an example of that. Psalms that, that describe the, 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 the dire pictures of when the soul becomes disoriented. This is the psalms of lament, the psalms that give voice to those negative emotions, yet while maintaining God's honor and glory. And finally, psalms that depict the reorientation of the heart, psalms of thanksgiving, psalms of restoration. And, and we experience and express different emotions in each of those scenarios, right? Whether, whether we're, we're in a season of life of orientation, disorientation, reorientation, there are different emotions associated with those. When, when, when we are correctly oriented, we experience peace and hope and contentment, prosperity of soul. When disoriented, we experience doubt and fear and lament and grief and anxiety and bitterness and, 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 and mistrust and, and every other negative emotion that you can conjure up. But when we become reoriented in the right direction, praise, relief, gratitude, thanksgiving, joy, Hope stream forth from within our souls. So, if the Psalms are the anatomy of the soul, then their literary framework, the framework of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation, that is the road that the soul travels on. And at each different point on that road, a different aspect of the soul's anatomy is revealed. It's a great way to look at the Psalms. A road of the cycle of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation, and at each point along that road, we see a different part of the soul's anatomy revealed to us, helping us to channel our emotions and be able to express them in a way that that honors God. In other words, they tell us that the reason that we're feeling the way that we're feeling has to do with the orientation of our hearts and then they help us to express those emotions rightly. Isn't that good? This is such an apt description of the Christian life, isn't it? 
orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. We, we know that we'll be happy if we're facing the right direction, yet, yet suffering and our own sin disorients us and turns us in wrong directions, obscuring that happiness, but then God graciously and mercifully reorients us back in the right direction, restoring our happiness, and the cycle continues again and again. And that's the Psalms. That's the Christian life. So friends, as we spend the next six weeks in the Psalms, we will discover that the rhythms of the Psalms match the rhythms of your soul. The rhythms of the Psalms They match the rhythms of your soul. That's why we need the Psalms. As your pastors, our goal is that you would leave this sermon series loving the Psalms, having a sense of need for the Psalms. When you're in deep lament, knowing where you need to turn to appropriately express that lament, where you need to turn when you need to express hopelessness to God. How to express joy and relief with a depth that your verbal range limits you from expressing. The Psalms are the playlist of your soul. The the Psalms are the mirror in which we see our theologically informed emotions. The Psalms give voice to every right song of our soul. The Psalms resonate to the tune of our own hearts in a way that nothing else does, nothing else will. So friends, let's begin to embark on a journey through the Psalms and teach our hearts to sing the right songs in our seasons of orientation and disorientation and reorientation. And this morning, as we approach Psalm 1, we, we approach the, the, orient, the psalm of orientation, as, as Jeff said it last week as we were talking about this, the, the, the psalm of orientation par excellence, the preeminent orientation psalm, the psalm that tells us that your orientation toward God writes the songs that your soul sings. Psalm 1 teaches you and me that your orientation toward God or lack of orientation toward God writes the songs that your soul sings. So with that, let's finally, now that we've gone through the series introduction, let's get into this single psalm, Psalm 1. With your Bibles open up to Psalm 1, let's read Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6, then I'll pray, and then we will traverse this road. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree 
planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the playlist of our souls. Thank you for helping us to see where our souls were created to be facing. Thank you for for giving us an emotional capacity. But Lord, teach us how to understand these emotions, how to rightly express these emotions how to honor you with our emotions and what we feel. Would you change our feelings to feel love toward you? Would you intensify the affections that you've placed within our hearts for you? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Two two simple points to, to guide the rest of our time this morning, and they are very simple. One, orient your life toward the Lord. Two, this is earth shattering, do not orient your life away from the Lord. Very, very simple. This is, this is the psalm. This, this is Psalm 1. Orient your life toward the Lord. Do not orient your life away from the Lord. First point, orient your life toward the Lord. Let me ask you this. Do you want to be happy? Do you want to be happy? I want to be happy. I wake up every day and I want to be happy. I I want to have a good day. I want to be happy. And if you, like me, and everybody else in this room, want to be happy, look no further than the first word of this psalm. Blessed is the man. Depending on the context, the, the word for blessed in the Bible can, can mean under God's blessing. It, it can mean right. It can mean intrinsically right. It can mean fulfilled, or it can mean happy. And I don't think we are wrong if, if, we, if we say that all of those are probably in view here. That full range of blessed Blessed, happy, in the right direction is the person who, what follows there. Psalm 1 tells us what kind of person is happy and in what direction. Well, in verse 1, they are not oriented, which we'll get to in the second point. But verse 2, what direction they are oriented, and that is toward God. To paraphrase Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, happy is the person who is oriented toward God. One scholar says that Psalm 1 professes a creed, that this world is God's world, and those who side with him will surely and ultimately enjoy blessing. 
Friends, God created your soul to face in his direction. You were created by God and he created your soul to face in his direction. Those whose lives are oriented toward God will enjoy blessing. And one becomes oriented toward God by orienting oneself toward God's word. Eric Raymond said that the first psalm sets the tone for a believer's happiness being anchored in the word of God and the God of the word. It sets the tone for a believer's happiness. It sets the tone for the remaining 149 psalms. So listen, this in view, you may have heard the Bible before referred to as the the, the instruction manual of life or as as God's love letter toward us or or as the greatest story ever told. And listen, it, it is all those things, but none of those are actually a very complete description of what God's word is because they all fall short. Because in the Bible, we don't only read guidance We don't only read about God's love. We don't merely read a story. In the Bible, we encounter God. The Bible is revelation. It's where we meet God and we see his character. It's where we encounter his works. It's where we behold God in human form, the word made flesh, the supreme revelation of God himself, Jesus Christ. We behold God in his word. That is why blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night because in God's word we behold God. Because in in opening up the Bible and meditating on it, our soul is being oriented toward the one who created our soul to be oriented toward him. That we encounter God in the Bible is the reason why God's word is not something that we occasionally consume. Look at at verse two. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Day and night. Look look at verse one. Even though this is talking about the the disorientation, the wrong orientation of the heart, saying saying it negatively, negatively, saying, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, oftentimes, that progression of of walk, stand, and sit is is communicated in such a way that this this implies sort of like an, an increasing commitment toward toward a a life of sin and wickedness. But rather, I think what the psalmist is getting at here, he's talking about all of life. He's talking about, okay, the the different postures that you could assume in your daily life. You, you You could sit, stand, or walk. That sort of encompasses most of your day, right? Most of your conscious day. You're either sitting, standing, or walking. He's saying, blessed is the person in whose daily life, as a regular pattern, as a normative pattern, delights in God's word. It's the same concept as as 1 Corinthians 10.31, 
Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Similar language here in Psalm 1. Happy is the person whose life is, is characterized by an orientation toward God through his word. Listen, friends, we, we often treat our scripture intake like a daily vitamin. Like, like it's something that we just read for a few minutes in the morning, maybe, just like we maybe take a daily vitamin. I don't know, I used to take daily vitamins back in the day, but I haven't taken one for years. And then when I do take a vitamin, I, I miss a, a few days here and there. But, but then when I do take it, it's like, well, I've, I've popped it in my mouth, now on to the next thing. We can treat our intake of scripture the same way. Like it's just an, an optional benefit to our day if we get to it, and even when we do get to it, it's just another task on our list. But Eric Raymond says it, he says it so well. He says, to steadily sip of and marinate in the waters of scripture it's a delight for the saints. But how much more ought the Christian to not only sip, but to drink deeply, to not only marinate, but to dive headlong. God's word is not like a daily vitamin for us, or at least it shouldn't be. Yeah, Read your Bible in the morning or whenever you have your daily devotional, but also pray God's words back to him. Sing the words of scripture like we do on Sunday mornings. Counsel others with the wisdom of God's word and not your own opinions. Read books that fill your mind with God's word. Listen to music that does the same. Confront lies and untruths from the world around you and your own heart with God's word. To this kind of person, God's word is a delight. This person is blessed. This person is happy. That is a happy person. That is a happy person. And it's because God's word isn't like a daily vitamin. It's like cold water to a thirsty soul. Look at verse 3. This person is like a tree planted by streams of water, constantly nourished, that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. This is a picture of a person who's, the, the, whose roots of their soul are sunk deep into the soil of the God who created that soul. Nourished by the water of his word, producing the fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. And if large trees growing near water are a picture of anything, I, I grew up near the Rio Grande River. There were huge cottonwood trees lining the river. Those trees, if they're a picture of anything, they're a picture of stability. The person who meditates on God's word in all of life is stable, is emotionally stable. I want you to turn quickly to Psalm 112. Psalm 112, if you have, if you have a Bible, whether it's digital or hard copy, 
Uh, open up your Bible to Psalm 112. It is 112 chapters later than Psalm 1. Uh, Psalm 112. It's very similar to Psalm 1. And you'll notice in verse 1, verse 1 of Psalm 12 is almost identical to verse 1 of Psalm 1. Listen to it. It says, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man, get that language, who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. But the the stable happiness that Psalm 1 depicts through a picture, Psalm 112 describes in detail. And I've been chewing on this all week. I love love the language of Psalm 12. It's been really helpful for me in my understanding of of what Psalm 1 is really talking about. Look at verse, verse 4 of Psalm 112. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He's gracious, merciful, and righteous. For, for the one whose delight is in God's word, even in dark times, light dawns. Look at verse 6. For the righteous will never be moved. The one who delights in God's word is stable, immovable. Look at verse 7, the next verse. He is not afraid of bad news. I love that. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Verse 8, his heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. That's Psalm 1 verse 3 put into to graphic verbal detail. Those who delight in the law of the Lord are anchored in the Lord and as a result experience the blessing of living rightly in God's world. Listen, I want us to grasp this. There is no consistent experience of positive emotions apart from a life that's oriented toward God. There is no consistent, you may experience positive emotions, but there is no consistent, stable experience of positive emotions apart from a life that's oriented toward God. It's a simple application question here. In what ways are you trying to achieve emotional stability and happiness apart from encountering God and his word? What are you orienting yourself toward that's not God's word to try and find happiness? Because God's word, which God gave us, which God wrote to us, says happiness is found in delighting in his word, meditating day and night. Now, because orienting yourself toward anything other than God's word is, well, disorienting, as we launch into the Psalms and into the series in the Psalms, we've discovered from Psalm 1 that the right orientation of your soul is toward God through his word, and that will produce happiness, but the wrong direction is toward wickedness. Simple message of Psalm 1. So second point, and we'll be briefer here in the second point, do not orient your life away from the Lord. This psalm is, is one of stark contrast. It's, a, it's not a psalm of nuance. It's sort of in your face, right there. This, not that. The way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. A stable tree 
and, and windblown chaff, blessedness and judgment. It's right there for you, leaving no questions, no ambiguities. The blunt, clear point of this psalm is that there is blessing in God's way. There is heartache and judgment in turning away from God. The effects of orientation toward God and the effects of orientation away from God. And there are long-term effects and short-term effects. The long-term, long-term is that the person that's oriented away from God, verse five, will not stand in the judgment, nor sin sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Verse six, but the way of the wicked will perish. A person whose soul is oriented away from God will not stand in the judgment. It will be judged by God justly. That's the long-term effect of orienting your soul away from God. The short term, the here and now, is that they will not experience the happiness and emotional stability that the other enjoys. Why? Because his or her life has become untethered, has become unanchored, has become unrooted. Because a life that has become disoriented away from God has lost its anchor. And instead of being rooted like a, like a tree, he or she is like chaff. Chaff is the, the husk of, of a grain of wheat. It's, it's, a, it's a super thin, super light little, little piece. And, and chaff is used in biblical language to describe uh, lightness, instability, and even worthlessness. It's, it's not a friendly term. But chaff, in contrast to the tree, chaff is blown around by even the slightest breeze. The, the, the point here, friends, is that when we, we, when we become disoriented away from God and his word, we're easily persuaded, easily troubled by opposing opinions, Unlike the person in Psalm 112, we're easily movable. We are afraid of bad news. Our hearts aren't firm, but they melt and they turn into jelly at the slightest provocation when our hearts, our souls have turned away from God. In contrast to the tree with deep roots establishing and anchoring its permanence, the chaff is impermanent and untethered, blown away by, by every force acted upon it. And once you become untethered from the ground of God's word, that wind is blowing pretty hard. The, the, the wind of, of our own sin, our own wickedness, the wind of the effects of sin, a fallen world, and, and the wind of, of, of untruth outside of God's word is blowing pretty darn hard. Whatever happiness you have is fleeting and temporary. 
Your emotions become as fragile and, and unstable as thin glass. Listen, here's the distressing thing about this. You and I, just because we're Christians, doesn't mean that we are always in Psalm 1, verses 2 and 3. You and I become disoriented just as easily as the next person. Just, just this morning, as I'm writing this sermon, it's like 8.45, and I, I'm in the middle of sending a text to Jeff saying, hey, I'm really behind on this sermon. I'm sort of in, in a fray right now. I'm gonna be late to church. Our kids come out of, out of a room. One of our kids has fallen and cut their head pretty badly. Psalm 112, this man does not fear bad news. I get bad news and my heart just goes crazy. Unstable. And, and, and I'm just subject to all of these emotions and they're not good ones because they're selfish. I'm thinking, this is inconvenient. I'm behind and now I'm even more behind. What am I gonna do? If, if you've gotta go to urgent care, what am I gonna do with the other kids? How are we gonna get supplies to church? What? Instead of going... Lord, you're in control. You ordained this moment. Probably for the good of my soul and the application of this very passage, that I would be stable, trusting what you're doing, Lord. Knowing that none of this is outside of your purview and your control. Knowing that this is for my good, as we sang this morning in that first song. In that moment, that was, that was a reminder of how much I need to be oriented toward God and his word, even as I'm preparing a sermon from this very passage. Oh, the irony is crazy. But the distressing thing about that is it's a reminder that I'm disoriented so easily. And the really bad news of Psalm 1 is that those who are disoriented away from God and towards sinful responses will not stand in the judgment. But friends, the hope of the gospel is the hope of reorientation. There was only one whose life was firmly planted in God's word and who was never blown by the winds of sin and wickedness. That one who alone was like a tree died upon a tree that we might have hope in our disorientation and become reoriented. His name's Jesus. Psalm 1 looks forward to the possibility of reorientation because apart from him, our inevitable and, and constant disorientation would write only sad songs, would write only angry songs, would write only laments. Apart from him, there is no escape from and little hope in doubt or fear, or anxiety, or anger, or envy, or bitterness, or any, en any negative emotion you could experience. But through his cross, Jesus reorients our souls. And his reorienting grace writes our songs of thanksgiving, and gratitude, and joy, and hope. See, beholding Jesus in God's word correctly orients us. Beholding Jesus in God's word 
mercifully reorients us. And I'm not going to go down that road at all this week because that's actually the subject of next week's message in Psalm 19, the reorienting power of God's word. But as we close today, let me just give two simple, simple final points of application, and they both have to do with framing your expectations. One, in terms of orientation, do not expect that you can remain grounded and anchored if your life is not oriented toward God through his word. Frame your expectations. Don't expect that you can remain stable apart from your life being oriented in his word. If you spend considerable amounts of time away from God's word and walk in the counsel of the wicked and stand in the way of sinners and sit in the seat of scoffers in whatever form that takes in your life, don't expect to maintain your happiness and blessing. There's a positive correlation (laughs) between our orientation toward God and his word and the happiness we experience in this life. Secondly, frame your expectations. Do expect contentment and stability and hope and peace and happiness through a prolonged orientation toward God in his word. There is a necessity of believing Psalm 1 because not every day will you open your Bible and all of a sudden just be flooded with happiness. But this is talking about a way of life. This is talking about all of life. Day and night, meditating, fighting against that tendency to become disoriented away from God and committing to pursue the life that God has has ordained for you by remaining oriented toward him and trusting in Christ to keep you oriented toward him. So next week we'll talk about how how to use God's word in our lives to reorient ourselves and and one another when we've turned away from God, when we become disoriented. And in further weeks we'll, we'll come across the more negative emotions that are more difficult to express. But this morning, friends, let's leave on the notion that your orientation toward or away from God writes the songs that your soul sings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for writing the songs of our soul. I pray that you would help us to sing the songs that we were made to sing in our daily lives. Would you you act upon our souls to orient us toward you? Would you teach us to delight in your word, to meditate on your word day and night, and to experience the blessedness that you have promised through a life that's oriented toward you? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.